we are talking about hope. And I, I began this series on hope by really a question that I've been wrestling which is, with, which is, why is it, does it seem to me that the people of God, Christians in particular, seem to be battling with hopelessness so much? And, uh, and you may think, well, that's, that's sort of an absurd question, Randy. Look at the world. world. Look at what we've gone through uh, over the last several years. Of course, of course people are hopeless. And, and yeah, I, I get that. I, I understand that. But when I read my Bible, and I, I do that. I hope you do that. When I, when I read my Bible, there's this trait that seems to be inherent in the, the, the general personality, if you will, or identity of the people of God throughout human history. And it is this, that this group of people were, went through garbage just like everybody else. They went through oppression. Uh, they went through times in which they, were, uh, uh, which they were murdered, in which they were killed, in which they were enslaved. They went through natural disasters and financial disasters. But there was this trait that seemed to follow the sort of general um, atmosphere of the people of God, which was that no matter how much garbage they went to, they always seemed to have this irrepressible hope. Like, uh, do you guys remember those old Rocky movies? Any of you remember those? Some of you are like, no, dude, you're way too old. I have no idea what you're talking about. Just like, I'm it's probably on YouTube. You can probably find them. It's like, it's like a classic. Go watch them. I mean, the acting isn't that great, but the story is kind of the same story of the people of God. It's actually, if you, the reason, as bad as the acting was in those movies, the reason why they made 26 of them is because it was the same story told over and over again that we all resonate with. You just get beat down, and then there's something inside, like just something inside of you rises up, right? exists and it, in particular it does it to that but it seems like it seems like lately that doesn't exist and it, in particular it doesn't exist in the people of God but through biblical history it did exist in the people of God and so it's had me wondering what's going on how is it that that although I get why the world is hopeless the people of God who have a transcendent hope how is it that we've lost touch with our transcendent hope and so we've been exploring what does it mean to be people of hope in a world that seems hopeless. Hopelessness is a cage that teaches me boundaries and limitations that are inconsistent with my design. Like a bird in a cage, when you put a bird in a cage, that bird clearly is designed to soar. It is clearly designed to fly, fly, fly away, unlike the one that I, you'd have to be here the first week. You can go back and listen on our podcast. Birds are designed to soar. They're designed, their, their wings indicate a capacity, right, to soar. But you put that bird in a cage, and that cage represents something that absolutely contradicts their design. Hopelessness is that way. When hopelessness infects you, when it becomes a part of your agency or your identity, it becomes this thing that just constantly grates against your design. I am trying to establish during this series that hopelessness, for those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, for those of you who've committed your life to Jesus, 
And I know that's not everyone in the room. Some of you are still seeking. You're still figuring this out. You're still deciding, is this for me or not? But for those of you who are in this room, I would tell you that biblically speaking, hopelessness is absolutely counter to your design as a follower of God. As you study the people of God, you see this resilience, this capacity to get up again like Rocky, this ability to face circumstances, to mourn, to grieve, to acknowledge oppression, to acknowledge hurt, to even be very open and honest with God about their pain and their fear and their mistakes, and yet at the same time hold within tension, within the tension of their brokenness and their hurt and their pain, within that tension also hold on to a hope that was transcendent. We've been looking on and off again throughout the book of Romans. I admitted to you last week I keep coming back to different parts of the book of Romans because I believe that uh, it's my responsibility as a pastor of this church to really embed within us a deep understanding. Uh, really, I think, it, I think it applies to us a lot as believers in 2022. Uh, really, the reality of the church in Rome, some of the tensions that they were dealing with, some of the geopolitical realities, the, the social realities that they dealt with all the way back then are still real to us today. And I think the deeper our understanding Standing of Romans would be the, the more capable we would be of living out our faith in this world. So I keep coming back to Romans as sort of a bedrock for us in 2022. And we're going we're gonna to look a little deeper in Romans today. But as we've been moving through um, the book of Romans, we've, we talked about the fact that, that early in the book, Paul um, 5, 6, 7, 8, he's talking, to, he's talking to Jews who had converted to Christianity and were really sort of wrestling with uh, this tension between am I a law keeper uh, and, and is the fact that I keep the law, does that make me saved? Does that make me righteous? Or, or is there something outside of that? And so he's really trying to help them because their religion, their theology is getting in the way of being people of hope. And so he moves them through that. And then as he gets out of chapter 8 and continues to move forward, he starts to transition to speak more clearly and directly to Gentiles. So it will be people like, like many of us in this room who are not Jewish by birth. And, and he's trying to bring these two groups of people together and to help them to understand that, that helplessness and hopelessness are not their existence. If you go read uh, Romans chapter 7, it's such a popular chapter in the Bible. A lot of us read Romans chapter 7. And it's, if you recall, it's where Paul like talks about how much of a wretch he is and how much I do what I don't want to do. Any of you remember that? And a lot, a lot of us relate to that. And Paul sort of takes on this, um, this sort of picture of a person who's found themselves in helplessness, in hopelessness. Like, I, I know I should feel this way. I know I should believe this way. I know I should act this way, but I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. And he confronts that in chapter 8, and he says, listen, the way out of helplessness, the way out of hopelessness is exactly where we came to at the end of our worship service today. It's with the help of the Holy Spirit. He says, have been a person of hope only comes overcoming sin, overcoming depression, overcoming anxiety, overcoming hopelessness only happens through the help of the Holy Spirit. And he transitions into the latter part of the book, really talking to the Gentiles about how they live that out. In this series, 
I've been trying to establish the, the premise that hope is not a passive thing that happens to you. That it's not a fleeting emotion that comes and goes. Us is because we that you just have. That perhaps that hope is different than that. At least from a, a biblical perspective or, or what we would call biblical hope. Let me say it like this. Um, I remember we used, to, we used to think that being melancholy was sort of a feeling that people had, right? Somebody would be a little blue one day. They would be a little depressed or a little sad. And we'd say, oh, they're, they're melancholy today, right? And it was like a season that people would pass through. Do you, do you remember that? Back before everyone was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and fear. Come on, I'm not, I'm not making a state. I'm just saying. There was a time in history, and I know those of you younger than 35 don't remember that time in history. But any of you over 35, you remember a time in history that we just, people were melancholy. And it was a feeling that they felt and they passed through it. Hello? Don't get upset with me yet. I'm going to say much more controversial stuff than this today. I promise you. Right? There was, there was a time when we, that's what we thought about melancholy. That's what we thought about anxiety. That's what we thought about depression. We saw it as something that people passed through. They worked through those things. And we would, we would see it that way. And, and we, we also would see sort of hope that way. We would see it as a feeling. And you would kind of be hopeful at times. And then at times you would be not hopeful. But something has changed socially culturally and it's it's not a south african thing it really is a global thing something has changed in the world and now depression anxiety melancholy uh all of those sort of things have gone beyond just a season that people pass through and they've become an identity they've become a part of our agency or actually a giving up of our agency because now we are victims of these things we cannot control them they are who we are we're labeled that way are you with me i'm not making a judgment statement about them we are acknowledging the elephant that's stamping around the world that we're all living in is it okay that we just talk openly and honestly right now we are these are our identity we've we've abdicated part of our agency and now these things are our identity and and many of us this is our identity i am anxious i am depressed i am whatever and now there's there's lots and lots of diagnosis right and these things define us and and brain science has taught us that there's a lot going on that it's more than just a mood but chemically and biologically there's things going on inside of you right when these things are taking place and and what happens is is you get into these cycles where these things repeat themselves and then and then what we have done is now we have said okay let's Let's end you here that will upset these processes, get us out of this cycle. But then we know from brain science that these things just create a dependency on the pharmacology whereby I'm never, I'm never free from depression. I'm never free from anxiety. I'm never free from the thing that's outside of myself that I cannot control. It simply is. Hello? If it's not you, it's somebody you're related to. We all know it, right? And so now my entire identity is I am hopeless. I am anxious. I am depressed. I am whatever the diagnosis is. And the answer for my diagnosis is this 
pharmacology are this somehow, somehow intervening in this situation, and I am now dependent upon this thing. We have accepted and embraced that globally. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, where are the people of God in this conversation? Because I would, I would suggest to you that, that we are behind the curve in this conversation, but if you, study, if you study the history of the people of God, I would suggest to you that, that we should be ahead of the curve in this conversation because we in actuality, we in actuality have been addressing this conversation since the beginning of time. We in actuality, if you study the story of the people of God, have embraced from the beginning this idea that life is out of our control. That there are forces at work that are bigger than us within our biology, within our chemistry, even within our existence. There are powers at work that we can't control and that we need help. But instead of, instead of getting that help, pharmacologically, pharmacologically, I don't know, I can't pronounce that word properly. Or getting that help from this place or that help, we... We have said things throughout human history. My help comes from. We have said throughout human history, I look to the hills from whence comes my. We sang earlier about people through human history who relied on a God who had made a covenant, who said, I'm going to keep that covenant. I'm going to honor that covenant. I'm going to give you hope. When nothing around you says that you should have hope. It's crazy to me, but you, you might want to get your camera out. You might want to record this. Probably the most controversial thing I'm going to say today, okay? In 2020, to subversive way you can live your life in 2022 is to be a person of hope. Think about it. The Think about it. The quickest way to get canceled is to have hope. The quickest way to get canceled is to not be a person who's convinced the world is coming apart tomorrow. The quickest way to get canceled is to be a person who says, no, I'm not depressed. No, I'm not anxious. No, I'm not riddled with fear. No, I don't believe that I'm going to die. Or if I die, it's okay because I have a hope that's beyond this life. You want to get dismissed? You want you want to be rejected? You want to be socially ostracized? Try not being cynical. Try not being angry and rude and hateful and depressed and oppressed. Try not wearing on your sleeve all of the things that have hurt you and offended you. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, people will start pushing you aside. Try not joining into the course of doom and gloom and destruction. And people are going to think you're weird.
I learned a new term this week, doom scrolling. Have you ever heard that term before? It is the psychological impulsion, compulsion, excuse me, the psychological compulsion to click one negative article after another. To just keep reading the comments in the tweet that talks about how terrible the president is. It could be of your country or my country. Everybody's complaining about everybody's president. So don't think I'm picking on anybody. The psychological compulsion to enter into how terrible everything is. You, wanna, you want people to think you're weird when, when somebody asks you, oh, did you read the article? Say, no, I, I don't click on that stuff. What's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? Living all happy, joyous. What do you think, you're better than the rest of us? What we've learned from sizing psychological conditions no absolutely not what i'm telling you is what we've learned that's absolutely reinforces what we've always known by faith which is that we need a power that's outside of us to give us hope which is that within us we are broken when left to ourselves we can't find the answer when left to ourselves our brains, what we've learned from science, what we've learned from history is that when left to ourselves, we come to this place in which we say with Paul, I'm a wretch, I'm, a, I'm broken, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I can't help myself. God's people have known that throughout time and so God's people throughout time have leaned on help that was outside of themselves, have declared a testimony of a God who could do what they could not do. You see, hope, biblical hope, is an assurance of the impossible made possible by a power not limited by my limitations. I keep saying that over and over and over again in this series because that's what biblical hope is, and that's exactly what the world needs. The world needs us as the church to stand up and say, you're absolutely right. You're powerless on your own. You're incapable of your own. You're absolutely right. We need something bigger than us. There is an excess threat and we cannot escape it but the answer the answer is found in a God who is faithful in a God who is good in a God who's honored his covenant from one generation to another friend get into the Old Testament and read it as you read it, what you're going to find is a God who made a covenant with the people and then the people didn't honor the covenant. And so God said, that's okay. I'm still going to honor my covenant. So that generation passes away. I'll raise up another generation and, and they'll honor my covenant. So they'll walk in my blessing. And then, and then they had kids and those kids rebel and those kids don't honor the covenant. And God doesn't panic. God doesn't run away. God doesn't forget his people. He says, that's okay. That generation will pass away. Another will rise up and I'll, I'll bless that generation if they respond. See, God doesn't 
change. And we as his people have been called to be people of hope, not to look at these hopeless situations and just try to provide another band-aid that gets us from one broken moment to another broken moment, not to create a false spirituality that just plays right into this addiction, but instead says, I've got a hope that is bigger than me, that's outside of me, does remain true. Our hope cannot be confined to the series and today how Paul started out by speaking primarily to the Jews, but then he, he moves into speaking to the Gentiles. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 15. And as I've said during this series, I really strongly would encourage you during your daily 20 in this series to, to stay in the book of Romans, be reading the book of Romans. It's fascinating. And by the time you get to chapter 15, he's, Paul's moved away from talking to the Jews and, and addressing their hopelessness because um, they couldn't keep the law. And so many of them felt hopeless because they couldn't keep the law. And there's many of you in this room who grew up in church and you know all the rules and you've tried to keep the rules your whole life and yet you still feel hopeless, you still battle uh, anxiety and fear and depression and you still battle all of this stuff because you think that hope and health and healing and all of that stuff is based on your performance and and you're like those Jews in that first half of the book you you're just stuck in this place and you just think if I work harder if I do more then God will really like me and if God really likes me then he's really going to bless me and and you're like that first half of the book where Paul is saying listen it has nothing to do with how well you keep the rules God liked you before you were ever even born. You were the apple of his eye before you were ever even created, before you ever did anything wrong. He knew every wrong thing about you and he loved you anyways. He chose you anyways. You're a person of covenant. You're in this room today because you're a person of covenant. You didn't get here on your own power. You got here because somebody long before you prayed about you even when they didn't know you. And that's what got you into this room. You're trapped in this covenant where you like it or not. That's what the first half of Romans teaching you. You're trapped. You can run, 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 run all you want to, but you're trapped. Go watch those 90 Matrix movies. You don't have a choice. You think you do, and living out what you think is a choice is just a bigger part of the lie. God's already said some things about you. That's why you keep getting pulled in. He loves you that much. That's that first half of Romans. And then there's that. Second half where these, these people who their agency and their identity, it doesn't really make sense because legally and by the law, they're Gentiles and they don't belong. And how do we even fit here? And, and we certainly don't keep the rules. We don't, we don't know the right festivals to keep. We don't dress the right way. We don't act the right way. We use the wrong language. We behave the wrong way. And, and, and the first half of the book, they're like, woohoo, we can do what we want to do. And, and those... Those pesky Jewish people, they just got to put up with us. But then he flips the script in the second half of the book, and he says, listen, this, this whole freedom thing that you got, um, you got it because he loved you, he knew you, he knew you're bad from your good. And so he's calling you to yourself, and you think you have a choice also. You don't have a choice, and all those choices that you think you have, they're not your choices to begin with. So all that freedom that you think you have, you only have it because he gave it to you. And if you, when you really understand that, you surrender every bit of it. Let me tell you the secret of hope right now. The secret of hope is surrender. The secret of hope is surrender. 
The Jews, those legalistic Jews in the first half of the book, they couldn't get to a place of, of having hope even though they had the law and they had all the stuff because they were unwilling to surrender to a power that was greater than themselves that justified them outside of their actions and behavior. The second half of the book these people who were Gentile believers also were hopeless. They were dysfunctional. Their agency, their identity, and their Christianity wasn't working for them because they feel guilty about not doing all the law stuff themselves. Boy, how weird is that? They felt condemned and oppressed. And, and, and Paul says, listen, here's the thing. You too have to, sur- you have to surrender your freedom. See, those people had to surrender their legalism. Now you have to surrender your freedom because surrender really is the secret to hope. Because when I come to the place of surrender, I'm acknowledging that it's a power outside of myself. Romans 8 is the key to all of this. It's a power outside of myself. It's the help of the Holy Spirit. See, hope... Let me, let me read this first. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. How many of you would like more joy and peace in your life? Can we, can we just be, is there anybody in the room besides me? Am I just preaching to myself? How many of you would like more joy and peace? Can I see your hand? Yeah. So human condition. Most of us understand or acknowledge we like. May the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. We've we've already said it in this series. Hope is an issue of trust. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's people have always been called to overflow towards those around them. In other words, that you have so much hope that it's not just contained with you. You know, it's been crazy. It's what prompted this series. God's people haven't even had enough hope for themselves over the past few years, much less be able to overflow to the world around them that is caught in a constant existential crisis. And yet what Paul is teaching us in in Romans and what biblical history has taught us from the beginning of time is that God's people, even in existential crisis, should have so much hope that it's overflowing to the world around them. But how does it happen? Of the Holy Spirit. Work of the Holy Spirit. See, hope is a work of the Holy Spirit. You get offended with me or upset by me is a work of the Holy Spirit. Before you get offended with me or upset by me, before you walk out of here and think, Pastor, minimize what I'm going through, my condition, I am not in any way minimizing psychologically, physiologically what happens in us when we deal with anxiety, when we deal with depression. I understand it. Trust me, I've done tons of research, but here's what I know that has been taught to me by scripture. What has been taught to me through biblical history is this, that we as God's people, regardless of physically what is happening to us or existentially what is happening to us, we have a power that gives us hope. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is supposed to be at work in your body. Desiree talked about our prayer list. Some of the people in my life are on a prayer list because they've received a diagnosis, a psychological diagnosis that has come with a, a 
an indication of a physiological condition. And if I can pray, God, heal me when I'm an eight-year-old kid and I have a cold. If I can pray that God heals me whenever I'm 25 and I've, I've hurt my, I can pray that God can heal what's going on in your mind right now. I can pray over my spouse. I can pray over myself. I can pray over my child. I don't have to live numb. And I don't believe you have to live numb either. Because much of what is happening to us is that we are, I brought it up in the series before, we are being caught in a process of living numb. We either make ourselves numb by self-diagnosing and using things like alcohol and using things like pornography and using things like ridiculous addictions where we get online and we doom scroll or we, or we shop online or we do the, the self-diagnosing stuff or it goes even further than that and we're diagnosed by a doctor and we're giving medication. And I'm, not, I'm not in any way being negative about that. I'm just telling you there's healing provided for in the atonement. That is the hope of being a Christian. God's people, God's people know how to deal with hopelessness. How do I deal with hopelessness, Pastor? God, the Holy Spirit to help me for healing in my body. I believe God for healing in my mind. I've alluded to it several times, and this is where I wanted us to land today. Here's the problem. It's the problem of the book of Romans. It's the problem that the Jews that Paul was writing to in that first half and the Gentiles he was writing to in that second half that they, they couldn't get. And, and I understand, look, I, I, I really do understand the theological complexity and I know what Romans is all about and it's about righteousness and it's about how we're saved. And how, but there's this greater idea of where is our hope placed? What do we get hope from? And this entire group of people were struggling with the exact same thing, and that is this, hope is an act of humility. And that's where we get stuck. Because see, when my righteousness is based on the law, how well I perform, then it feeds my pride. When hope is placed on my capacity to, to execute my own agency and be free to do whatever I want to do, regardless of the implication for anybody else's life, it is not now, again, an expression of my own pride. See, the whole second half of Romans is Paul writing to the Gentiles who didn't have to keep the law. They didn't have to do the festivals. They didn't have to. They could drink what they want. They could eat what they wanted. They could go where they wanted. They were free in their freedom, and yet they weren't hopeful in their faith. And Paul was saying to them, listen, all of that freedom that you're willing to fight for, I'll have sex with whoever I want to have sex to. I'll eat whatever I want to eat. I'll drink what I want to drink. I'll believe whatever I want to believe. Paul says every single bit of that is an expression of your pride and it's feeding your anxiety, it's feeding your fear, it's feeding your disconnect from God. Both the first half of Romans and the second half of Romans is dealing with the exact same issue which is this, if you're going to be at peace, you're going to have to be humble enough to accept that you need help outside of yourself and that help outside of yourself is an embrace, it is an embrace 
of a power that sets boundaries and you say what Adam and Eve were unwilling to say in Genesis chapter 3, God is good and I embrace his boundaries for my good. Here's the deal. We don't want any boundaries. We prefer a law that we can keep and decide if we do or we don't do it so we're our own God. Or we prefer a freedom that says I do whatever I want to do, Genesis 3, I'll be my own God. We're at that same exact place. And as long as I'm my own God, guess what I realize? I can't control the world. Pandemics happen. Social unrest happens. Financial meltdown happens. I lose my job. I lose my marriage. There's powers outside of me that continue to threaten me. But when I acknowledge, when I'm humble, and I acknowledge, yes, I'm not God. I bend my knee. I surrender to a power outside of myself. And I give. I give. Willingly, freely, I give over to that power, the right to set boundaries in my life for my good. Now I can rest. I can rest in hope. I can rest in peace. I can have trust because it's not about me. It's not about those things that threaten me. Instead, it's about this God that is greater, that is bigger, that is beyond. Many of us are hopeless because we're unwilling to be humble. We're unwilling to surrender. We're unwilling to surrender to God. I'm going to be my own God. Whether it's expressed itself through religious legalism or whether it has expressed itself in freedom and hedonism, which is the story of humanity. It either goes one way or the other. Religious legalism or freedom and hedonism. Either way, I'm going to be my own God. The reason we're hopeless is because we're unwilling to surrender to a God who is good and establishes boundaries for our own good. But when we say you are good and I accept your boundaries, then we open ourselves up to a peace that is beyond us. As a world, as a culture, as a society, we've already decided there's powers at work that are bigger than us and greater than us and things we can't control and we need help. We've already decided. Some of our medicine cabinets are full and prove that we have embraced that there is powers that are beyond us and we need help. Can I ask you, can I ask you, can you tell me, why can you and I not accept that that help is God? Why can't you believe God for your healing? Why can't you believe God for your hope? Why can't you believe God for your peace? Why can't you believe God for what you've been looking for and what you've been longing for? Close your eyes for a moment. Father, I thank you so much for every person that is here today. Lord, I bless you. I'm going to ask you to just stay still for a minute. Unless you're on the worship team and you're coming to the moment, us to just please stay still for a moment. I believe this is a holy moment. With your eyes closed just for a minute, I'm going to ask you to just allow 
the Spirit of God to just speak to you for a moment. You may say, Randy, I'm not even sure I believe in the Spirit of God. That's okay. Just be quiet for a minute. Just listen to your internal dialogue for a moment. We've experienced so much together as a world over the last several years. It's so big and so scary and so difficult and hard. And even, even recently, so many things rob me of my agency, rob me of my ability to feel in control. We all acknowledge that. Science has even taught us that feelings aren't this inanimate thing that just come and go, that there's chemically even something going on inside of me that I, don't, I can't control, I can't regulate. Whether it be those on the one extreme who believe in global conspiracies are on the other extreme of people who believe everything can be analyzed and everything can be explained. All of us, all of us, all of us come to the conclusion that for some things there isn't a conclusion. There isn't an answer. We need help outside of ourselves. The question is, where does that help Where does that help come from? What does that help lead me to? Does it lead me to hope? Or does it lead me to more hopelessness? Is it it a, a cycle that just brings me back to the same hole, the same dark place, same broken place? Or does that help lead me to peace and joy? Father, right now we just pray over our community. God, we know there are many of us who are facing very real threats, very real situations that are beyond our control. God, there are some of us in this room that physically and physiologically, psychologically, there are things that are going on in our bodies that we can't control. There's there's nothing we can do anything about. But God, we don't have to stay in that place. And Lord, we also don't just have to bootstrap ourselves up and just get in a better mood and just shirk it off. God, that's not what your word teaches. Your word teaches that you are our healer. God, that you give us hope that is transcendent, that you have power, God, our brains to heal our bodies. So God, for all of the years, the very real physical problem, church just tried to give religious answers to very real physical problems, forgive us. Lord, instead, we pray for healing. We pray for healing in Jesus' name. God, we pray for healing in Jesus' name.
In the same way that we believe for healing for other things, we believe you now for healing for those in our midst who are dealing with physiological and psychological sickness. You are a healer. And we trust you for that healing. God, for those of us who are overwhelmed by the pressures and the stresses of life, God, who face problems that swallow us. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now into our hearts, into our minds. Break the habits of doom scrolling. Break the habits of indulging, catastrophizing. Break the habits of going along with the mindset of the world that is overwhelmed by the hopelessness of our situation. Instead, God, I pray, provoke within us the habit of people of faith who declare the truth of a God that is bigger, that is greater, that is good, that is faithful. Forgive us for our pride in our religion, for our pride in our freedom, Forgive us for our pride that keeps us from bowing our knee and humbly accepting help from you. Acknowledging I can't do it, but he can. Acknowledging I don't understand it, but he does. Acknowledging my peace won't come through my performance, but will come from a God who loves me in spite of my performance. us to humbly embrace the hope that you give to us as your people and that you've given to your people throughout all of time. Lord, I pray it over each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Again, let me say thank you for being here today.